What's up, guys? How's it going? Welcome to As an Artist, a local Famous Records podcast about artists, their art, the creative process, and the local scene. My name is Anthony Sosa, and thank you so much for joining us. On this episode, we have Scott Prather. Scott is a very well-known tattoo artist here in the Fort Worth area. He's also a really, really nice, sweet guy. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing Scott for a while now. Um, he's married to a really good friend of mine, uh, Becky Prather, who does hair. They're both fantastic artists. Um, and so I, you know, I've been wanting to talk to Scott for a while now, kind of since I've started this podcast. And so it was great to finally get the opportunity to do so. We had a really, really good conversation. Um, we really kind of got into some nitty gritty in regards to what it means to be an artist, the creation of art, what that can mean to you or to someone or to Scott. And kind of like, you know, the, what it looks like to pursue that, you know, full on, like what, what, what problems are you going to encounter? Scott really goes into really good detail about his kind of past going to art school and like the importance or maybe not so much importance of, of that sort of things in regards to the craft and in regards to your profession. Scott takes his, his craft and his profession very, very seriously. Uh, and, and it shows. And so I think it, you know, we really had a, a really enjoyable conversation here. And to anyone who is an aspiring artist, which is really what this whole podcast is for, right? I want to kind of show anybody aspiring who, want, you know, who wants to do these things, thinks about thinking about doing these things, thinking about just viewing life and viewing the world in these ways. Uh, I you know, try to give you the opportunity to hear it from as many different artists and people as possible, right? Everybody has their own interpretation of what it means to be an artist. Everyone has their own interpretation of what it means to be human, right? To, to live. And so Scott was, was very gracious in, in being open and honest and sharing all of that and all of his perspectives in that regards uh, on this episode. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And um, we won't have any music at the end of this episode since Scott is not a musician. He is, however, um, going into a new art form. He's been working on comics, and actually he's been doing that for a long time. He's going to talk about that. He's currently working on a new comic right now, which we'll get into. Uh, and I'm going to provide in the show notes for you guys some links to his his Instagram and his website so you can go check out his work, perhaps get a tattoo for him or hire him for some prints or for some pieces and stuff. Uh, that would be fantastic. One more thing I actually wanted to say. So when, when Scott and I were finished talking, um, he kind of, we both kind of came to the realization that we didn't get the opportunity to talk about sobriety. So Scott and Becky, uh, have recently become sober as of 2020. And so he kind of told me after the fact, and, and you may notice this during the conversation, there is, he's kind of implying like a sort of new outlook or a new perspective that is recent. And so that comes with this sobriety. Uh, and I just want to, I just want to kind of mention this out front since we don't really get to talk to it, talk about it, um, during the podcast, he really kind of attributes that to this kind of, uh, you know, like new, fresh growth of ideas and inspiration and that sort of thing. So I don't want that to go unnoticed or unmentioned. I do think that is an important part of, of his journey. So now that I've thrown that in there, we'll start the podcast. Oh, thank you. Fuck yeah, we, I meant to say that earlier, yeah. Okay, please be careful. Be <laughs> yeah that was my that was my like i feel like i'm doing good in life car you know Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> so people said if it was like a midlife crisis i was like i'm not there yet so that's just like my success car and yeah i've always wanted uh i always wanted one and that was um just thankfully we're at a point in life where as an artist it's uh we're we're, we're doing well 
you know, as being yeah. artists. And so, so now our, um, our focus over the next few years will be like our retirement and stuff. Cause that's something that's not built into our system at all. And so, um, we'll be focusing heavily on, um, the IRAs and some investments and stuff. And so, uh, we talked to a wealth advisor recently. Okay. So that way we can yeah. kind of, I want to be more prepared, yeah. you know, than even my dad was. And so it's something that like, unfortunately, like you have to have the drive to learn because otherwise people will make money off of your ignorance. Mm -hmm. And so that already happened already because I have a, a life insurance policy that I thought was like doubling as my retirement plan, which it kind of is pseudoly, but like not completely. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, learning that people just kind of sell you stuff yeah. so that they can make money. Um, so that way, yeah. You know, our goal is to be like at 55, be living off our investments and stuff. But we have to, as of 33, I don't have any investments. That means we have less than 20 years to really put back some some stuff. So yep. um, the stuff I've been getting recently, um, I, I brought to show you too, is oh yeah, these are my investments. I call them, it's, I've been buying a lot of original artwork from uh, comic book creators. Okay. And so um, I've gotten some stuff that I never thought I would ever have. Um, so there's an artist named Alex Ross. I don't know if you're familiar okay. with him. Oh, it rings a bell. He's like one of like the premier artists in the comic book in industry. Okay. And um, so I got to have one of his original pieces. And um, so these things, like, they'll always keep their value for what I got them for. And so, um, and then as time goes on, they'll just kind of go up in value. Or if, like, I have a Lone Ranger Zorro piece from him, which isn't one of the big properties. Um, but like if something comes out in like the next 10 years with either of those intellectual properties, yeah, you know, I could sell that for maybe a little bit more, um, you know, just because it. it's like popular. Okay. So we've, you've talked, you've brought up so many different things right now. I mean, oh we yeah. Could talk about each of them. So like investing in art kind of as an artist, what it looks like in the later, mid to later stages, as far as like being successful and investing. I want to talk about all that stuff Okay. because I think a lot of artists, we don't know a lot, tend, tend to not know very much about the business side of things, right? And, uh, and being successful yeah. at doing that, I think is important. So I do want to get to that. But before we do that, before we get to how you're doing great now, which I'm glad to hear, man, like I'm, I'm super excited uh, about what you guys got going on. Um, let's get back to like the, the roots of it all. Like you, I, I don't want to assume, do you consider yourself an artist? That sounds like a stupid question. But. Uh, yes, I do consider myself an artist. What does that mean to you? Um, now it's someone who creates, and so there's like you know a myriad of things of what that could actually entail. Do you create for like visual aesthetics? Do you create for um, the uh, mental part of art? Which is like I've been reading about some philosophy about how like modernist thought process has kind of bled into our mainstream. But that's like a whole yeah. different other. We can talk about different that. other. Dude, rant. I'm totally down to talk about stuff like that if you want. Um. And uh, so, yes, I, I'm an artist. I, I create something for a living, um, which I'm real thankful for uh, because I, I don't have, you know, I had to buy supplies to make it. But as far as like maybe if I was a builder of, you know, decks or something, um, you know, I have to buy a lot more uh, supplies to get paid for more. So I'm very thankful for, for being in that end um, and being in Fort Worth, too, because Fort Worth is a um if you do well in this town it's like a big fish little pond scenario mm -hmm. and so especially if you offer something that other people don't um which i feel like i do uh it does help me become a little bit more focused um and being uh, a creator 
And so like I was recently in, um, I did some stuff for the Fort Worth magazine last year. I did a cover and then some interior illustrations for a couple of their, their months of their magazine. Fantastic. And then um, recently I was voted and that's kind of loosely put because you can vote as many times as you want. So my mother and my mother-in-law did a lot of voting. <laughs> um, but it was enough to kind of get me into the Star Telegram, which um, actually did lead into some clients, as I found out this past week. So, Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So that actually worked out because I was curious about who, who's going to read the paper. Yeah. It's not really like a main source of news anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's still nice to be to be in. So to, to answer your question, yes, I do believe I'm an artist. Uh, first and foremost, and then I tattoo as a profession to make money and to okay. allow me to be uh, more of an artist outside of that time. And so, uh, yeah, I've been, yeah, that's been my sole focus ever since I was a kid was to be a creator and then seeing what it took uh, to be. And I feel like I'm um, like a like a standard, like average artist i i i'm no not, dude you're great well, i know you're being humble and stuff yeah but you're, the, you're fantastic when you live that comparative lifestyle and you see like you know people that make you know have larger reaches make sure. make more things are technically more advanced um and they have like a larger name to themselves yes those guys are like the big names in whatever artist industry that you are um but i get to make like a humble living being in this town and uh be able to afford the things that we can without like I guess the pressure of larger follower numbers or um, larger social media presence. So I kind of, you know, am successful without all the extra stuff and extra work it takes, especially in today's time. Yeah. You know, so you, you said since you were a kid, you kind of started creating what around what age and like, what did you start doing when you started wanting to be creative? Um, I mean, it's just, it was, so I'm an only child, and I think that does have to play a little bit of that, because okay. you do occupy your time in some way. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Hearst, so okay. it's just like 20 minutes outside of Fort Worth proper. Um, and uh, so being only child, you know, you just, you occupy yourself, and, you know, before phones and, and more of the technological advancements that kids are afforded now, you know, you had to find ways to occupy your time, so that was just a way to occupy time. And then many kids are creative at that you know, time in their life, then middle school, you know, elementary school, and just depending on like, you know, if you get known as a certain uh, type, then you kind of feed into that type. So if I was known as the artist, then I can kind of, then it was kind of mm. self-fulfilling where I would kind of fill that role sure. and then just kind of go uh, even more so into it. And then realizing, you know, at a part-time job that like I was trying to um, draw most of my time and, and getting in trouble for like, you know, leaning and not cleaning. Gotcha. And so knowing that yeah. I wanted to do something creatively uh, was a focus. And um, but I think every artist has a time in their lives. And mine was when I went to art school, which is not necessary for my profession. Um, but that you there's a time where a switch has to happen, where you take something that was fun and for a hobby and then you have to make that into a way to generate income. Mm. And so I think every person who is a creative has this moment where they like, am I going to take something that was fun for me and I enjoyed learning about it into now I have to generate money so I can pay my bills with this. And then that becomes a job, which like mm -hmm. it's hard to like jobs. So there was like a time when, you know, you kind of question if that's something you even want to do. You know, yeah. is it better just to work at a regular job? whatever it may be, and then enjoy your time afterwards creating. Um, 
But uh, thankfully, mine is a creative job. I do have some elements of uh, sameness, which allows my brain to be put on autopilot at times. Um, and then I can go home and focus on creating differently. So mm-hmm. it feeds into each other. So you're so you kind of view your, your tattoo work as more of like, um, I forget the term that Amber would use. When she was doing glass, there was like the creative stuff, but then you had the industrial commercial stuff. Yeah. Where it's like I'm doing the same thing over and over again, kind of repetitive. Yeah, there's stuff. so there's a benefit in doing stuff like that. Um, just because like it, so it's nice to get though, like, you know, a typical tattoo that's kind of made fun of is like a lion portrait. So those things are like very just typical now. And so the thing is that carries a pretty good price tag to get one of those, right? Because mm-hmm. it just takes time and I get paid by the hour. So I can just replicate something, you know, in a different medium, which is tattooing, and then just do my the best I can at replicating that onto skin. And then I can still have, you know, emotional energy to create something afterwards uh, on my own time when I'm at home. So like I spend a lot of my time working and then I go home and rest for a little bit. And then I do what I call a second shift. And that's where I'm focusing on my other personal goals uh, now that I I am sated in my tattoo career. I'm always going to keep growing in that and want to keep succeeding in that, but uh, I'm very thankful for where I am so I don't have to have the continual hustle button on mm-hmm. uh, all the time because that is, you know, that's that's the draining part. Yeah. And so, um, and because I can control my own schedule and I control my own life, which again is another like super positive thing about where I'm at in my career. Um, I can work six or seven days and still have energy to go home and create on my own time just because like some days can be three hours. Some days can be 12 hours, mm-hmm. you know, those are the 12 hours for sure. I don't want to do much, but sure. um, the smaller days I can go and work on on what I want to work on, which is uh, a comic book that my friend and I are writing. And so that's I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a focus for the past like 10 months that we are trying to go towards and uh, see if we can make that into reality. Um, yeah. Because that's the last thing I ever said I was going to do. Me, sorry. That's Rhoda for everybody listening. That's my dad. Do you want to open the door? You open it so she can come in. So, yeah, let's see. She should She should be quiet. There you go. Hey, it's um, okay. You just want to be left serious, out. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Okay. So I want to, so you kind of mentioned something before. I want to talk to you about art school and like about that, about that experience and stuff. But before we do that, you're kind of talking about freedom. Mm-hmm. Like as as your career as your biz, as a business owner, but also as an artist, like how important is freedom to you, to your work, but as a human as well? Like, what do you? I don't know. How do you think about that stuff? How, how do you think about freedom and and what I do? Um, so it's something I've striven for in in my tattoo career itself because there is a structure when you start tattooing, just because you work in a shop environment, you have hours, you have to be. Um, the way to make money and create uh, clients is by being available for what's called walk-ins, and that's people who don't plan ahead. They just, I'm going to get a tattoo today, and they just walk in. Um, We've seen that change over the course of my nine years of tattooing as social media has become more prevalent, so you don't need to just walk into a place anymore. We have a lot more people contacting artists via you know Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, um, and then because of what their experience with tattoos are, that they've seen that they need to make appointments. It's just like more common knowledge now for the public. Mm. So... That's good. So that by creating a schedule with appointments allows more freedom in my life because then I can control like when I take things, when I don't. Um, And uh, it it really is something that I it's I want to say it's like the complete normal for my industry. A lot of people are still within the confines of a of a typical tattoo shop. 
Hmm. Um, you know, I worked for for almost seven years or about six years working till, you know, 2 p.m. to midnight um, just about every day. And then I was finally able to make the switch to an appointment only lifestyle, which means I, I do my appointment and then I leave afterwards. So instead of being kind of forced to stay at a tattoo shop until midnight or so, uh-huh. um, I get to go home and spend more time with my family. So that so being an appointment only artist allowed me to have more freedom in my life, which was, uh, I think, the, the biggest step in my career and opened up so many more possibilities for me so that I can do my outside activities, my, my other artistic goals uh, that a lot of other people in my position don't do or I wish I would see them yeah. do. You know, if you are stuck in an environment where you have to be somewhere for, you know, those 10 out nine, 10 hours and you only physically work three of those hours, well, you have quite a bit of time on your hands. Yeah. And so that's when if you're not if you don't if you're not aware of this, then you'll get stuck on your phone and then um, you can excuse and saying that you're trying to get clients and stuff like that. For the most part, you know, being stuck on your phone is is just like a life suck. Yeah. And so um, absolutely. Even my last two years of being in that environment where I had to be there, I created an art show that uh, a solo show that happened in 2019. And so I did um, like seven, eight, nine. I can't remember. Large scale paintings kind of with a similar yeah. formula. That show was awesome. Um, but yeah, that kind of that. And that's like my bragging point to others who are in that same environment. Like use your time wisely, make something of it. And so a lot of artists do for sure. I'm not going to say that the majority don't um but i think they can like push themselves even farther than just like the sketching and and regular you know kind of mindless creation yeah and then when you point put a goal to it it helps you get to that goal but then it kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier is like that becomes work again right when you put a time frame on it yeah. when you when you have a goal to set so now you're at work doing work and then if you're not careful with how you budget your time and your um emotional stress level then that can like really wear you out for sure. So it is something that I I would like to see more of and people do, do more of. Um, and that's what helps tattooers become and stay creative. And then, you know, I think bragging rights for their clients that like my tattooer is a real artist. Yeah. You know, he yeah. actually paints. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, freedom is, is definitely like a big thing. I think and that's why I think a lot of people are attracted to tattooing because there is a lot of freedom inside of that yeah um but it just depends on what you do uh depends on what you do with it will dictate like the longevity of that freedom you know yeah because if you don't do things right then you'll um kind of get back into the rut and then you're forced to uh maybe sacrifice some freedom for your income again yeah you know um so I, i tell becky all the time that now that we both are in a very similar uh industries her as a as a stylist uh for hair and then now that we work in the same building you know we both get to have freedom there's no boss overlord to us yeah um there is like we're not responsible to anybody except our clients and so uh that is such a like an awesome feeling yeah that uh i wish more people could experience you know um and then as we see the economic changes that happens over the course of the next 20 years like Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see how strong um our careers stay or our industries stay because um, we both are seeing pretty big changes in that just because it's a big uh, draw for creatives. And so, yeah, that's like a whole other rant with creatives because I think our 
I'll just briefly say, but I think our main export in America is entertainment industry. Like we, we have like the physical goods that we sell that mm-hmm. we export. Um, but the entertainment industry, that's, yeah. that's also the mm-hmm. most notable one, right? Yeah. That's what people see the most. AKA like American culture. Yeah. In a sense. Is right? that, like, that's what we push out. Right. And so, uh, you have so many more people now also with the advances in technology that that has become like the goal oriented for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you have people wanting to be in animation and in the entertainment industry, um, and the creative industry, because we are now allowed to, to do that easier. Um, but I'm seeing a huge upswing in tattooing in every creative industry that makes it even more competitive for mm, people mm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, if you're not like at the top tier of your game, it can be hard and then stay there. It can be yeah. hard to have a continual career in that. So I know people in the comic industry that um, have books produced, that have created uh, awesome storylines, and they are still kind of, you know, in the back burner for their industry. And mm. so it, you know, that's a scary thing to happen. Um, Absolutely. But, because they're relying on larger corporations like Marvel or mm. DC to pay them, right? So it's much harder to get like a large company to pay you. In my industry is I get an individual to pay me, which is much easier to, to communicate yeah. and get money from, you know, and you don't leave, you know, my studio until you pay. Yeah. <laughs> So that guarantees that I get paid for the day, whereas most other creative uh, jobs, you know, you get paid after the work. And it could be, depending on what you do, it could be like the next week or it could be like, you know, two months from now. Sure. So that means that hustle button is on way more often. Yeah. Um, and even though you get your name out there to a larger audience, you know, it's like, you know, is that the way you want to live? Yeah, You know. exactly. I, I like my little town and my my comfortable lifestyle that I've developed over the years. So like a lot of, a lot of this, what you're talking about is requiring like various different skills, right? Uh, different skill sets, obviously artists kind of have, they're all over the gamut, right? Like you said earlier, you don't have to go to art school. Um, do you feel it was beneficial to you? I guess I got like a two part question for you. Like, well, where, where, where you went somewhere in Florida? What school did you yeah. Go I went to a school called uh, Ringling college of art and design. And it's one of the top, schools in the nation for computer animation oh okay so people went to pixar people went to disney people went to Leica, the stop motion studio so i do have a, a number i guess of acquaintances really that did succeed heavily or you know their art got picked up and viral and they have two hundred thousand followers you know and so i do there are a lot of there's a even with that small group of people that are successful and i think there's far more that um, did not go into art mm-hmm. because again of the competitive level that you have to be in um, or you have to have a market you know like my work I feel like is not marketable to a mass scale um, but it's very marketable to individuals so thankfully my mm-hmm. career focuses on individuals and what speaks to one person whereas if I was trying to make work you know speak to thousands of people yeah. um, usually the rule of thumb is like the more generic you go the larger reach you have Right. So the more specific you are, um, the smaller that demographic is. Yeah. I want to get back to that. Those types of creative decisions. Right. Uh Because that that, uh, artists are again, that's like a big kind of can be a contentious thing. But what skills did you come away with from from art school that you are constantly using? Like, what do you feel like it benefited or what you got? Okay, cool. Yeah. So I do have a pretty good example for for my skill set that I did learn. Um, It wasn't artistic. It was actually networking. 
up. Yes. Okay. So yes. that was the the biggest thing that I came away from it. So the a short stint is I did a year of community college and a year of state school before I, I transferred to Florida. In those two years, I was um like introduced to much more extroverted people, like the party people and stuff like that. Like like typical college, yeah, you know, lifestyle. And so in that environment, I was still the uh the quiet one and reserved one, right? Um, but because I had experiences, I did like get a little bit more extroverted and more confident mm -hmm. in talking right with people. So when I moved to Florida in this art environment where there's, um, you know, less than 2000 people for all four years, it's a very small school, wow. right? Um, that because I had a little bit of extrovertedness, right? When I went to this art school, these kids were so much more introverted that just by happenstance, me being introverted here meant I was more extroverted there yeah. just by natural. So again, kind of filling that role, as I talked about earlier, I kind of filled that extroverted role and became more extroverted, became more confident in speaking to large groups. Mm -hmm. So I actually did a lot of like student-led uh, groups and uh, I created the gallery and had volunteers and created fundraisers and actually and worked a lot with the small town of Sarasota, the locals that live there, the kids that live there. Um, that were doing their own art and music scene. It's awesome. Uh, trying to combine the school and the uh, the small scene that was there because the school is so focused, you, you kind of just do the school the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually went out and became like a part of this community and brought a lot of the students into that community. So over the course of the four years I was there, that actually led me to know how to talk better, how to like even just chit chat, like yeah. small small talk better. Um, and being able to uh, be confident in talking to people and then selling my skill set. So now as a tattooer, that goes hand in. I have to sell myself to individuals yeah. and or like upsell somebody, you yeah. know, and uh, be personable so they feel comfortable being in your chair uh, for a long time. So even though I, I did develop a good work ethic artistically, um, I did get got distracted by doing like the fun extroverted college yeah. stuff um, that went along with it. So instead of like, you know, getting that dream job out of out of college or a year later, you know, um, I did kind of falter for a little bit and figuring out what was going to be a good fit for me and tried different art jobs while I had some friends that went straight to Disney, mm. you know, so then you mm. living that comparative lifestyle of like, oh, man, I wish I did that, you know, do you I like I've same for me, I had the same experience. Um, and so like, I feel like those ex party experiences, maybe kind of not succeeding right out of college, I, had, I dropped out of college, mm -hmm. uh, I went to UNT, I didn't go in the music program, but I was up there for music. I played music. Yeah. And I found myself, I learned so much from my peers and my friends because I wasn't the smartest guy in the room. I wasn't the best musician in the room by far. And But I learned so much from everybody else. And I, so when I tell my students when they're going to college or when they're getting into whatever they're trying to do, the networking thing like you're talking about is really, I think, the most important part of going to whatever it is, trade school, college, whatever. It, it really is. And I knew kids that didn't go to the school that just like networked with the students at the school mm -hmm. and had become successes in their own right without that giant price tag at the end of it. There you go. You know? And so, I mean, there's benefits just being around that environment at yeah. that age. Um, so, yeah, as, you, as you're talking to high school students, figuring out what their plans are, you know, um, you know, we're we're still on the kind of probably the ass end of, you know, college is the right course to be on so you can get a job. I, I think yeah, kids now I know agree. that's not really yeah the most applicable thing anymore. And the the young kids that I tattoo that afford my prices, the ones that are like 19, 20, 22, mm -hmm. those are trade skills. 
they're, they're plumbers, you know, they're yeah. electricians. Th those are people that are affording my prices at that yeah. age. So they are already well above where I was. I mean, I wasn't making any money at 22. I was still Same. in school. Yeah. You know, so like these kids are already kind of progressing themselves in our modern, you know, economy a little bit quicker and also developing skill sets that are going to be always needed, you know? Mm -hmm. So then if, you know, if they just understand networking and marketing, then they can be incredible successes in their own right. So absolutely. But do you uh, feel like those experiences, even though you say they're kind of, I wasn't maybe focused on at the end of my, at the end of my college career or whatever and seeing other people go succeed. Do you feel like those experiences were still beneficial to you because you were quote unquote living or socializing or, or whatever? Or like after it? my time in school or yeah, kind of like, or just, yeah. like figuring out where I was faltering and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I did the, try the LA thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally tried the LA thing. I lived there for four months. Um, and that was the probably the worst four months mm. I've ever experienced. Um, and then actually ended with me. Uh, I'm not a skateboarder by any means, but I would longboard, which is just glorified standing, right? Um, <laughs> and so I was doing that on a penny board, which is much yeah. smaller than longboard, right? It's those, oh, it, you know, time yeah, out. Yeah, 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 it's like the yeah. size of your shoe. Yeah. And so, um, and then coming coming oh to God. Florida, going from Florida to California. Uh, the weather's the same, but the environment's much different from flat to hills. So mm -hmm. I, my, my stay ended there after I got into a skateboarding accident and broke my collarbone and um, busted my leg up real bad. And that was, I just, uh, I called my mom before this happened while I was skating around saying, I don't know if this is the right place for me, all that jazz. The accident happened. I called her back immediately and said, I just broke my collarbone. I'm coming home. So, just, oh, so yeah. And that was like, you know, that parent, my parents were just scared shitless. Uh, <laughs> just like that. He even did that. But and to your point of like, was that beneficial? Insurmountably. Um, I learned so much about what I wanted to get out of life. Um, I learned so much uh, of how other people viewed life and what they wanted to get out of it, especially in the L.A. context. Um, and uh, I was really thankful for that time um, because it showed me what I didn't want. It showed me what I didn't want to do. It yeah. showed me the sacrifices I didn't want to make. Yeah. You know, um, and like it's kind of those things you don't know unless you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I knew I didn't want to do those. And so um, ended up coming to that was in 2013, 2000, 2013. And in 2013, um, that happened. I stayed at my parents' house for a few months, eventually got a job as a as a waiter in West 7th in Fort Worth. Um, during that time, I, uh, I guess this kind of rolls into how I started tattooing. Um, in that time I was like, I gotta do something. Cause I'm just like a server as a college graduate. Mm. Again, friends are at Pixar and Disney, like they're doing their dreams. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like barely get by again. <laughs> and yep. so, um, I went back to my original idea. I wanted to be a tattooer when I was a kid. And so I, I met a guy who was doing home brewing when, when craft beer was real big. Right. So uh, he did home brewing of craft beer, and then that got him a job as a as a beer. What are they called? A brewer. A brewer. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> I don't he, know. But yeah, he brewed beer for yeah. like a, a place, a brewery, and so that was his passion turned into his job. And I was like, well, I wanted to do tattoo when I was a kid, so I'm going to try to find a tattoo shop, and then ended up getting a job in in the west side of Fort Worth. Um, finally, after a couple places, found an apprenticeship, and it was a street shop apprenticeship. Um, which is kind of that's the 3 p.m. till 2 a.m. job, mm. um, and it's you know with a whole bunch of old crusties, and so I got to have some really fun like experiences, but definitely like 
the negative what people think tattoo shops are like is where I worked for the first two years, uh-huh. which you know it did cut my teeth real well. And same same kind of instance where like I knew what I didn't want. I didn't want to be in that environment, so I worked to get out of that environment um, until yeah. I could finally get into the position I am today, which we've talked about, where I have the freedom to do what I want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like benefits to doing the bad experiences of life. Uh, I mean, to a degree, obviously. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, those mistakes are I don't know. At least in, to me, anyways, in regards to creating art. Like having those trials and tribulations, or whatever you want to call them, right? Like to, as in, to use as inspiration or to use as fuel or whatever you want to call it. Um, I feel like if I'm not doing stuff, maybe if I'm spending too much time trying to create, trying to do play, write music, play music, whatever, I'm not living enough or experiencing exactly to to keep doing to sustain that. You know? Yeah, you have to live to create. There's and. You know, I think again, you have to kind of live through that to know. Yeah. Um. And so, like the the famous idea of art block or creator's block, you know, it's because you're kind of in your own echo chamber. Yeah. And you need to kind of go experience a little bit of life and get influenced by what life is to you, and then your brain is the filter for that. And then, however, you do create is your own like view of of how you lived your life, right? And so, uh, yeah, that's definitely like on the nose as far as what it means to to create, you know, and to, you know, Chuck Close is a painter or was a painter that is famously known for saying that um, he he doesn't do, it's all horribly paraphrased, but like you don't wait for inspiration, you just wake up and go to work. Um, and like waiting for inspiration is like the child's game of mm. creation, mm. you know, like it makes, that's what maybe starts you down that path. But if you're kind of in that environment where you're waiting for creation or inspiration, it's just not going to. Yeah. You know, you'll have like your bits, but you need to kind of learn from that, actively think about what you're making. And that way that'll help your decision making as you continue being uh, whatever artist you are. So that way you can eventually create your own work and then be inspired by your own uh, creations. And that fuels the round uh, or like the next round. Yeah. For you. I love that. Um, and so that's something that I, I've kind of stayed with and, and what helped with being in the environment with your peers at the school I went to, you know, because that's really, I think that's the most important thing is, is being with your peers because teachers can can kind of show you the path, show you some options, yep. you know, but it's, um, you know, it's the peers that, are, that have that drive, that same drive as you, that'll stay up with you at two in the morning. And so... Yep, and that's where we learn from the most. We learn the most from our peers. We're social creatures. Yeah. We watch people. We go, I want to do that, or I think that's cool. I want to be like that person. So I think it's hard to, as you were teaching young high school students, though, I mean, they they have this idea that it's a school that creates you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something that is just still very prevalent in, like, choosing a college and choosing, it's like, well, they, you know, UNT has a good music program, mm-hmm. so therefore I'm going to do that. Well, that may have attracted all the other kids they're good at music and then y'all feed each other um but there's not really necessary because of the school you know yeah, yeah you just, can go anywhere that's just like the yeah. magnet that brings all the kids that have that same drive as you to that same environment yeah um and again like you don't have to be you know at the most expensive school ever of course to learn that um and i actually have told people this that if they want to get into animation um or things like that then go live in california for two years um, and then go to the state schools because the state schools in California teach oh, wow. the exact same programs that they did at my school, but for a fraction of the cost, you know, um, and those are the entertainment industry is filled with like 
college or California college graduates because that's just makes sense. That's the California expert, yeah. right? Is entertainment. So yeah. a lot of their colleges are geared towards that. So it is, and then you have way better networking possibilities than yeah. like our small town in Florida, where like, you know, four people got into the entertainment industry. You know, that's a much smaller pool to to get from. Absolutely. So so who who inspires you? Speaking of inspirations, like what are your art? What artists? You know, do you okay. look up to or do you derive influence? I, I don't know. I guess also as you were becoming the artist that you are today, like who did, along the way were you like this person? So that, I'll do another anecdote um, about about college time, because um, that is where a lot of probably these questions are going to stem from, because that was kind of the the yeah. blossoming yeah. of it. Right. So before I tattooed um, and after I graduated, I went to go see Andrew Bird in concert. You familiar with Andrew I Bird? I think so. The name again rings a bell, but and, okay. So it's, he was like, um, he's famous for his like violin music. That's like on like he does a lot of loops with violins. So okay. he, he builds his stuff, his his music and songs through loops. And cool. uh, violin is is like his mainstay. And uh, I saw him in concert at House and Blues in like in Tampa or something like that. And so uh, this is yeah before I started tattooing, but I saw this guy like be a professional. Like this guy, I mean, he had like a you know hour and a half show, and he could build everything on his own, and just like the timing and the like the tightness of it, and I, I remember that as like a, a defining moment of like this guy, like I want to be good as art as this guy is as his music. Hell yeah! Because it's it's so tight, it um it has it you know drew you in as music does right, so you kind of feel these emotional pulls to it. Um, and uh, that was like a, a defining moment of inspiration and someone who influenced me to become better at what I did was like seeing someone else be such a good professional at what they did. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily like an artist that because that you aspire to be or you try to emulate for a long time. Sure. Um, to, to like discover their own skill sets and style uh, choices. Uh, but it's the other things in life that kind of showed me that. So uh, that was a really... Yeah, big moment for me. And so uh, as far as artistically, um, the school I went to as well, we was like at that time, the peers were really into comic books, right? So there was a lot of peers that kind of fed into each other. Um, They were uh, inkers is what they're known for. So they use like black ink, right? And make graphic illustrations that tell narrative stories. Okay. So those, uh, that was the group I was with you know, whereas like maybe four years before it was painters, right? It was a group of peers that were really into painting and what painting entailed to them. And so they all bounce off each other. So I was part of the inkers group where we all were influenced by comic books and stark black and white drawings um, and narrative uh, illustrations. And so that fed into my tattooing later on because I have an illustrative style with tattooing. And then you, the heavy use of black inks and black shapes translates well to tattoos. Um, and so that really helped me later on. Um, and so there's like, I mean, a list of comic book artists um, that uh, are just r- real big and then also painters. And so uh, like Paul Pope. So th- these are a couple that I have that I have originals for, which I'm real excited about, which I never thought I'd be able in a position to own these originals. But so cool. um, Paul Pope is a is a comic book artist. Alex Ross, like I said before, Um there is a, I'm getting some Kent Williams pieces and he was, had a very unique style of painting. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just like a, a, a list that I guess I could write down later for you. Uh, and, yeah, and, sure. Yeah. You could just kind of go through them. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, I know it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to nail down, right? I know it's <laughs> like, which, what aspect are you talking about? I'm mean, just the same with me. And it also depends on my mood. Yeah. Who am I into right now or whatever? Who's influencing me Is it me melancholic today, or, you know? or, yeah. or, uh, or am I feeling hap- like happy, you know, vibes? Um, but I think comic books probably is the most general answer I can give you as like, that was the big, and because comic books are so far reaching now, there's mm-hmm. like painted comic books. There's like oh. inking comic books. There's comic books that are now are like oil painted. And so just the skill sets of these people are like crazy high. Um, and it just covers like a, a large breadth. And because of the past, you know, 15 years of the entertainment industry, how they've pulled a lot of uh, stories from comic books, like a lot of things on yeah. Netflix, a lot of things on Amazon, just for streaming possibilities outside of the whole movie industry. Um, because comics have already shown to have like a market a proven market. Yeah. So then right? now everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they know it. that at least this group is going to like them. And if this group likes them so much, then the probability of a larger group liking them is even higher. Um, and so one of my friends that is in the comic industry, she illustrated a book that got turned into a movie by Jessica Biel, uh, The Empty Man. And so um, that's really cool, too, because as artists, you do you are part of like the uh, story right sale. So because they help create the story. So you actually get pay you know if they sell the rights of the story to any anything uh, then the artist also gets to have like a taste of that not just the writer that's which, awesome. is, which is really fun um and that's a way for for people to kind of get their big paychecks uh done so it's a uh, yeah so that's inspiration is just like um just a large and 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 also being aware of the echo chamber of of we'll say that the echo chamber of inspiration and the things that you like um Mm. especially with social media if mm-hmm. you kind of are absorbing the same information all the time then you will produce that stuff but you're going to produce that you know maybe without your own personal uh influence to it right you're just kind of replicating what you see and the aesthetics that you like which just makes you another cog in the creative machine mm-hmm. and hopefully the goal is to get outside of that and create something unique you know so by taking it you know comics and narrative painters and bringing them into the, the tattoo context then I'm creating something that is unique um, and something that uh, not all tattooers can do, which now makes me a, uh, what's it, what's the word? Makes me sought after, you know? Um, and then also just being in a smaller environment like Fort Worth, um, I'm able to have like good prices and uh, attract, you know, like more unique characters. I will say yeah. that. Like my clients, I think, are much more unique characters than a lot of other tattooers that maybe just do like typical tattoos. Typical black and gray tattoos or sure. typical traditional tattoos. You know, I've like people who want to have those unique tattoos come to me. So we mix them. Hell yeah, dude. So like what what was was comics always in the back of your mind like you wanted to do that? And was it just eventually being successful with tattooing gave you the means to do that? Or or was it something more like, hey, I guess I want to do this? Like, how did you come that's, about to doing the comics? That's pretty close. What you said. Yeah. I mean, the the back to the freedom gave me the opportunity to pursue like those another childhood goal um into comics and so uh yeah i know comic book artists who are trying to get into tattoos because uh they need the stability like tattoos became like this like a safe bet which if you you know told my mom 10 years ago that before i was getting tattoos that (laughs) that this was the safe bet as a creative yeah you know if she if she would laugh right um but because of just how the culture has been gearing towards uh Tattoos are safe. Yeah, <laughs> there's a safe bet to go down. So that allowed me to have the uh, the creativity and the freedom to now pursue other childhood goals, which was to create a story. And so my, excuse me, 
my friend and I created the story in at UNT 15, 16 years ago now. And so, um, you know, a lot, we had to kind of get more stable in life to, to where now I can afford the time after work to put into it. So this this story is something I told Becky, um, but like right when we started dating, I wanted to do. It's like, and I say that this is like the last thing that I've said I was going to do that I haven't done yet. Right. Um, and so Becky mentioned that my feet are tattooed uh, with the words jib jab. Because I, I, I walk the walk and I talk the talk. So I feel like it's a perfect metaphor yeah. for yeah. like feet tattoos. And so this literally <laughs> is like the last thing I said I was going to do that I haven't done yet. And then everything else I, I've said I was going to do, I've done. You know, when I told her that we were going to buy a house, it took time, but we bought a house. You know, that was like another like, you know, show showing to my future partner that I say what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I stick behind it and I work to make it happen. Um, I've never liked just the, I've never liked just the idea, guys. Um, mm. those are pretty, mm-hmm. I don't know, lack of a better, those are flaccid. <laughs> That's yeah. like the, those are, I yeah. feel like flaccid people that like everyone has ideas, but it's what you do with those ideas. Yeah. That's really important. Um, and so the, the comics and I, I talk about comics right now, just cause like my, my whole world is kind of wrapped up in this, um, outside of tattooing, um, that we can kind of get into about my, my goal of trying to be the comic book creator's tattooer. Yeah. Um, so I have some stories that uh, I was able to start with that, and we have some plans. And we're going to a comic book convention in two weeks in San Antonio to kind of enact some of those plans. Nice. So we're going to just try to continue being that because I'm offering a service that's on the same tier as for like, creativity as comic books, but not the exact same, okay. right? So these like big comic book guys... You know, a lot of them do have tattoos or want to have tattoos, and so I'm coming. I'm coming to them with like an offer of like I will tattoo you, and then kind of in exchange for like um, like their own stories, just kind of like what we're doing now. And then perhaps if I'm good enough and nice enough, then maybe I can get an email, you know, from somebody um, or some original art. And um, I've done it once already. I have another tattoo appointment scheduled for Austin for another comic book artist uh, in September. So. As of right now, I'm I'm two for two, so two conventions. I got two artists to tattoo, so so far 100 percent success Hell yeah, rate, dude. Um, and uh, and that is like that. So that's my networking way to use what I've developed mm-hmm. to try to get into an industry um, that I want to get into, like with my own path, you know. So yeah. like if if I do get into let's say I do get into comics in like five years, you know, and people ask me how do I get into it, you know, it's like well I had a whole different career. <laughs> And then use that career to kind of wiggle my way into uh, yeah. people's personal space because I'm touching them when I'm tattooing them. And then that's how I got into it, you know. Um, so that's kind of like the the end goal. Uh, and that's something that can have a little bit more longevity um, possibly than like tattooing um, just because like I can I can paint a cover at 70 probably more than I can tattoo for six hours. Yeah, you know? I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Just like it's probably easier. So what is what is your creative process like for creating someone's tattoo? Like say one of these these artists, like you tattooed them. Did they already? Did they give you something? I want this. Okay. Did so you, like- um, so Tony Harris is a comic book artist. He's the one that I made plans with, and he's the one that we drove to Georgia last October. My friend Andrew, who's the writer of our comic, so we had a, you know, we both had an idea of what we wanted to get out of it, and we got to tattoo him at a studio, which is this. Like the biggest personal studio I've seen, it was a pool house that was like 
almost the size of our house. It was huge just for his studio. Wow. Um, and he was able to just side note, he was able to get that because he was an artist on some stories that were sold to streaming mm. and he got like that big paycheck. Right. And so he could, he, you know, paid for his house cash, which I was like, that's awesome. You know, but also not the norm. I will say that that's not like most creators don't get to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just, he was driven and got into some good uh, stories and writers. And that's how I got that. Anyway, um, so Tony himself had something specifically he wanted tattoo on him, right? He, he wanted like his drawing this way on him. So that was like just, I guess, fairly easy to some extent. His wife is the one um, that uh, like I think helped sell the idea because she wanted to have tattoos. And so uh, I did a like a nine hour tattoo on her, really showing out. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, I did a freehand. So to, as far as the process goes, uh, that means I, I draw on the skin with Sharpie. And so depending on what it is, it could take a, it could take an hour to like maybe three hours. Um, and then there's reasons to do that. A, it um, it's like an original tattoo at that point. Yeah. Even if I'm using like another tattoo as reference, like that tattoo is solely theirs. It only exists in that space. And so if you want to get to like more of the like conceptual regions about tattoos and stuff, like, I think that's the most important thing is your tattoo becomes, it's like your tattoo, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so her tattoo only exists in the form of a tattoo on her body. Um, and that was like me really making sure I did a good job because I wanted to, you know, impress and then therefore, um, you know, use him as reference or tattoo him later, which we already have some something scheduled for October um, when they come back to Texas. Um, nice. And so over the past two years, I have focused so, uh, mostly on freehanding, which is, again, drawing on the Sharpie, on the skin. Um, the certain subject matter, it's helpful to have the stencil, which is the pre-prepared drawing mm -hmm. that we make and, and kind of like paste onto your skin and then trace that. Um, but a lot of stuff I do recently, like I've done, I've finished some sleeves recently that were freehanded sleeves. So the someone's entire arm had the trust to... Uh, Believe me that I would do a good job. Wow. Um, yeah. And we were able to make some really unique tattoos that are made to fit on the arm. So, uh, again, trans translating something on a 2D image to mm. basically a 3D wraparound image. Yeah. You have to, you know, it's a different mindset than just painting a picture within the confines of a square canvas. You And then you also have, like, body flow and um, consider, like, movability of the arm, like the, the supposition of the arm. So if you have a straight line you know, one way and you twist your arm, it's going to be curved. So kind of those like basic principles you, you keep in mind. And by drawing on someone directly, you're able to actually uh, make those decisions like live, right? Yeah. Um, and then it does take time to build those skill, like the confidence to do that and the confidence to sell that probably. Like last night I did a, a first client and um, she wanted a sunflower. So I've drawn plenty of sunflowers before. I don't need to do that ahead of time. And so we just drew a sunflower right onto her shoulder. And she texted me this morning, said that she was super thankful for it, which is always nice to get like a, you know, a, the next day text. Um, and now she gets to have the extra bragging points of like, my artist just drew this on me, you yeah. know? Um, and uh, I think people, because of TV shows and stuff, are also, they kind of know what that is now, right? Yeah. Um, that's and, hardcore, man. That's a lot. Like that's a that's that's like high. I feel like high high pressure situation. Oh like, yeah, you know, like it, I mean, it it definitely can be. I did a freehand. I did two freehand front torsos. That means someone's like waist to collarbone. I did their torso, 
And so last year I did two of those and both of those were free handed. So like, um, you know, I draw on Sharpie for like five or six hours and then I do have like a very quick outline, which is um, much easier to deal with than those like thick outlines. And then, and then they come back and we just, you know, spend session, you know, a few sessions on coloring everything yeah, in. Um, but uh, yeah, they get to have like that own unique, you know, that's it cool. just only exists on them, which I think is a really fun thing. I'm yeah. really surprised there's not like a lot more philosophy, not philosophy, um, like psychiatric books about hmm. tattoos hmm. and like why it's not. Maybe there is. And I'm just not aware of that. I have I haven't hmm. done like any research into this topic, but maybe I should because there's like, you know, who gets tattooed, who gets heavily tattooed. You know, I, I'm sure there are studies, but I, I, I don't know. That's a really good. Yeah, it's just a, it's a good yeah. question. You know, like, you know, we, we may know why like a prisoner will get heavily tattooed. Like there's reasons behind that. But like I tattooed this this gentleman um, who we did half of his body in the course of two and a half years. Oh, wow. So his entire right half is like from the sternum middle to the his spine on his torso all wrapped around right leg, right arm, all the way around. Right. Um, and we did his stuff in like two and a half years and he drove from Tulsa too. So he was doing wow. 10 hour round trips every appointment session. And so, and he is just like, he's a, he's a CrossFit guy. So maybe that has something to do with it. But like, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone's background. I don't, I don't pry or anything unless they volunteer information, but like, sure. For all intents and purposes, he's just like a normal guy. He's, a, he's in the financial industry. Um, so like, why did he want to get like so heavily tattooed? Yeah. In such a short I mean, amount yeah. of time. Yeah. You know, like who gets, you know, who decides to get their face tattooed, you know? Yeah. Like what, what drives a person, you know, to do that besides like just aesthetics? Cause you know, yeah. I've tattooed some people that have a lot of trauma that they use tattoos as a way to uh, grow from that and mm -hmm. get out of that. Mm -hmm. And then some people get heavily tattooed just because they look cool, you know, or they yeah. want to present themselves a certain way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's like a lot of like unanswered questions as to who and what and why. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. What it makes me think I'm reading a book right now uh, that my therapist recommended called the body keeps the score. It's about trauma. Uh, and so I'm learning stuff reading that kind of going down. I didn't realize how much a lot of that is like stored in the body and how that body affectingness, you know, affects our mind, right? The whole yeah. body mind connection, right? And so like, yeah, that's making me wonder, like maybe certain things happen, affect certain parts of our body. Maybe we're inspired for whatever reason, subconscious or whatever, like oh, I want to get something here. It's like a control yeah. issue, right? It's like, you know, it's why shoes are so popular because no matter what size you are, like your <laughs> shoes, your feet are basically the same thing, same size. Yeah. So you can be whatever size you are or fluctuating and still have control on like what shoes you wear, right? So then you have control of your body mm. that, okay, mm. now I get to choose what's on it. And so like, I do understand people that have um, like body issues, they want control of that, you know? Um, yeah. Um, when I got my neck tattooed, I was like the most at peace, which is so weird because I've had like anxiety. I think a lot of people experience that before getting tattooed. Once you hit like a certain percentage, you just don't care anymore. But that was like a big piece, right? Having a, a big neck tattoo. And so I was like, I was, I flew to Columbus, Ohio to get it done. So it was like this whole big adventure. Wow. Right. And it was like such a good experience. And, uh, I, I felt like more myself when I got my neck tattooed than I had previously, which was like, that's just interesting. Like why interesting. I have no idea yeah. why, you know, that, you know, why is that such a big deal to me? Why do I do my neck and not my hands? You know, like that, yeah. you know, there's not, not a definitive reason as to, as to why I want that. Um, but people I have tattooed with trauma and how the body keeps it, right? They do use ta tattoos as a way to expel that trauma. 
And I think for some people it it does work well and it, you know, and then they become heavily tattooed, you know. So I have yeah. tattooed people that had very rough lives. Um, and tattoos is their way for, you know, their control again. It's a way for them to like use the pain to expel the energy that's been stored in them. And so maybe they're letting a little bit go each time they get tattooed, you know, um, or, you know, the pain, you know, that they had in childhood far outweighs the pain of getting tattooed, you know, in their adult lives. Sure. Um, but it yeah. is something that like, I, it'd be just so interesting for people to pursue like, you know, in mass and like I get a census of people, you know, I guess it's a social, social, yeah, sociology. Then that's what Amber's doing. That's what her, her PhD is in. So what can, we can I mean, yeah, if she back. wants to, I mean, cause, <laughs> well, cause I feel like a lot of people would be interested. Like that. Yeah. Could, I mean, that could be your New York times bestseller right there. Yeah. Um, like the who and what and why of tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man. So how's that different? So the tattoo, that's the creative process seems like a very intimate, very personal sort of thing that you're doing with, with, with your client. How's, how, what is, what is the process like for your comic? Which, what's the, what's your comic called again, by the way? Okay. So, yeah, we didn't really talk about any of that. Um, okay, kind of give you. So I didn't create the name of this, and so I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Okay. Um, I want to say it's like a Greek word. I'm gonna have to look it up real quick. Okay. Uh, it's, I'll have it for in the show notes or whatever. Okay. Uh, man, her herith. Okay. Right. Okay. Do you know how to, do you know how to read phonetically? I think so. Okay, so it's this. Herith, herith, yeah. Herith, oh yeah, that A-E, that Greek A-E thing. Herith. Is it a hard I or a, or a? It looks a soft I, that underneath it. Herith, so herith? Herith, yeah. That sounds better. Yeah. Herith. Um, okay, so this is the name of our comic tentatively right now. I think it's probably what it's going to stay. Because it's also just like, you know, if you're going to see that on a shelf, you're going to be like, what is that? Um, <laughs> so it's from Welsh culture. Uh. Right. Uh, it's a deep longing for something, especially one's home. Oh, interesting. Okay, and then you'll kind of that make more sense here in a second. So our, our book's about grief, and okay. it's uh, so this is our story that we've had since college. And um, Cliff's notes of this is we have a, a boy who is attending his grandfather's wake. He's not really understanding what's going on or why. He just knows that his granddad's not around. Oh. You know, so it's kind of that age where you're not really sure the finality of life. Um, and he will uh, meet a, a Jimmy Cricket type character. That's his outside conscience. And he will Alice in Wonderland himself into a new world where he will meet the five personifications of grief. And by helping each personification with their specific uh, step, so like denial, as he helps denial with denying something, he overcomes it himself. And then he will be, um, you know, he'll kind of, grieve through the fantasy elements of our stories while being uh, chased by our despair character um, who has is always at his heels and that if you are not uh, you don't allow yourself to grieve properly despair can set in and overtake you so we have like a lot of fun metaphors in this um, it's something we've been working on for like a long time and getting it to the physical drawing part is like it's so, it's the hardest thing I've ever done I will say that like making comics and sequential storytelling, it is so hard and like so much more kudos to people that can do it for a living and do it well for a living because it, it, it is a challenge. It is a challenge to do. Um, so um, and in the end, he will, you know, kind of deal with his emotions. And um, it is our answer to a secular version of death. 
So okay. like a lot of books or children's books out there, if there's a spiritual element or religious mm. element. So ours is just kind of something that you would read your kid, you know, and then like it's like those books you read that later on you, you kind of understand the metaphors later. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. But as a kid, you just see the, the fantasy elements at face value. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of we're, that's like our goal because like the, the books that we loved as a kid, we got to see like like one of mine that's called the children's books of virtues. So as a kid, mm. I didn't. You know, I didn't understand the virtues part. I understood the fantasy elements. And then looking back, it's like, okay, they're they're teaching us about um, about loving somebody. They're teaching us about like manners, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that that's been our that was our general goal for that. And so you know, it went through different iterations of being a storybook, and then you know, but what if it's a comic book? And there's like marketing reasons for why we're doing a mm. comic book. Mm. Um, and why we're doing issues and not and not just doing the whole thing at once and then releasing it. Um, and it's something that we're we're about halfway done our first issue. So I did bring some pages for you to look at too. Um, Hell yeah! I do have the cover that's that's here. Oh wow! And so it's the images of of a kind of a you know melancholic boy sitting on a t- on top a pile of moving boxes um, with a moon behind him, uh, a lantern next to him. And then in one of the boxes facing the viewer is open and we see some star elements. So alluding to the uh, the box itself is our portal. So in our first issue, that is our portal is these kind of moving boxes that as a kid, you know, you're kind of interested in yeah. this make believe aspect of what boxes can be. Um, so I love it. That is our Alice in Wonderland uh, hole, uh, you know, or yeah. intro. Gateway, there you go. That's probably a better word. Um, into our fantasy elements and stuff. So, um, so right now I'm I'm still working on the wake of of our, of our story. Wow. Um, we're at baby beginning still, um, just because I work full time. And so that's the the hope is by next year I'll have, um, a a better grasp on scheduling, and really and before that budgeting. Yeah. Because <laughs> if yeah. we if we budget better, I don't have to work as much. I found out. Um, and then we'll be able to kind of push that forward a little bit more. And then with the contacts we're making in the comic industry, you know, seeing if this is something that could be applicable for a larger market. I mean, we're going to do this no matter what. It's something that is oh, like yeah. we want to do badly. Um, and we just need to, we're just taking the time to do it and to do it right. Um, so that again, so it doesn't feel like work too yeah. much, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the cover that we're using for, that would be our cover for our first issue. Um, and then like tentatively like 12 to 15 issues, which at this rate would be 12 to 15 years. So I'm really hoping <laughs> that uh, I find some time. So what's <laughs> it, some more time. so you mentioned it's hard. Like what's what's hard about it? Oh, man. Um, well, as a tattooer, right, in the past nine years, I've drawn like something once. You know, if you want a rabbit tattoo, I'll mm-hmm. draw a rabbit. If someone else comes in with that wants a rabbit, I'm gonna draw a different rabbit. Yeah. Again, for like uniqueness purposes, right? Yeah. Um, so here I gotta draw the same rabbit. I gotta draw the same rabbit all which ways. I gotta do ups and downs and then like, you know, when you're looking at a movie, you, you know, the the dog's eye view versus the bird's eye view tells a different story. So then you're you're the director of your story, right? Mm-hmm. And you're making things kind of work in the frame. Um you know, how much do you tell in background versus how little you tell? Um, and because you have like narrative words with images, you the audience is only really filling the blanks between panel to panel. Uh-huh. So 
you can't have too far of a jump between panels because it can disrupt the storytelling nature of it, right? Um, so if you don't see them going towards the door and the next panel is them in another room, you know, that can be kind of jarring, right? So yeah. you have to be able to lead the eye or lead the narrative in a way that it makes sense for the audience. Um, and so it is, yeah, it is just so hard to do. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a completely different art form. I didn't know if it was one of those types of pairs where, like, someone's writing and someone's doing the, the artwork, right? Yes, that's what we're and doing. It, but it sounds like you're involved in, like, the, the writing process as well, right? Like, that, that, I'm, that, I'm the, the, I'm the idea process. guy. I'm, I was helpful for the idea guy, right? So <laughs> that's the only time I can get away with being an idea guy. Gotcha. Um, okay. No, so that, I'm still but, making stuff afterwards. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, the, um, so my buddy's writing it, and then he's also learning how to write for someone else, right? So we first wrote it in long prose, which is just like just how you would read a story, right? Okay, yeah. And then then he let he he was like letting me pick the moments to illustrate. Okay. Well, after mm. a couple pages of that, that is incredibly hard because like without that specific direction, there's too many wheels spinning in my head to know which direction to go, right? And especially since it's my first time, I don't have practice at this. Mm. I need direction to yeah. tell me what they want, you know. Just as someone tells me, like, I don't care what tattoo I get. Do do anything you want. Oh, uh, you, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can offer a million things and you say no to all of them. So it's kind of the same deal where, like, I just I was spinning my wheels. I had too many options. And then when we tattooed Tony and he came with us, we asked about the creative process of writing. And Tony was, like, very specific and, like, write for comic books. And so we had him. He started doing that. Excuse me, which helped, but then kind of the same problem is like he he wrote too much in a panel. You you can't have mm. you can't have someone open the door, uh, drop their bag off, go to the fridge, take out a coke, go to the couch, turn on the TV. That that's too many beats. Yeah, too many story beats. It has to be like he entered the apartment and sat down, and then basically like the image is like maybe him like close up of him dropping a bag off, and then a close up of him popping a soda. And then the bigger panel is him sitting on the couch with the remote in his hand, yeah. right? So you have to find those beats. And so getting him to directly tell me what to do um, has been much better and allowed us to expedite a little bit more of the process. And as I get more comfortable doing this, I'm getting like a little bit more efficient at it, um, just like step by step. Yeah. And um, that has, that, yeah, that's been super helpful um, in doing this, this project. But yeah, I mean, again, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I see how people can succeed and fail so easily in this. Mm. Um, and I've read comic books recently that are published that are just really hard to follow. And so I think that if we see where we stand creatively and artistically, like we have a good middle of the road comic. It's not like the best comic, but I don't think it's the worst comic either. Yeah. Um, so uh, we do have hope that if we can get the one comic done, physically printed in hands, and then either try to sell those at a comic conventions or try to find the attention of, yeah. of the uh, editors um, in some way that we can get that picked up. If that does happen, which is like the longest shot, um, you know, I would definitely have to cut back on tattooing dramatically and just so I can focus on yeah. this because then that's what we're worried about is if we do get picked up, then we have a time frame, which makes the pressure go on. And then we thought about like, what if we're canceled? Just like any, anything mm. that would be like a kind of a big blow to us. And, it would be discouraging for us to finish. Yeah. You know, I think hopefully we would finish if that was ever the case, but that would, yeah, that would definitely take some time to recover from. So. Do you, do you know Ben Napier? That sounds really familiar. So, okay. I had him on the podcast, I guess a year ago or Is, something like that. Um, green hair. He has a studio called green audio. He's like known as like a musician. 
sound guy. He does okay. live sound for a bunch of venues. Yeah, I think I've just heard heard of him. But he started doing comics, I guess, maybe three, four years ago. And so him and a friend of his have published, I want to say, two issues now. It's called Glurk and Bow. Is it Taylor? Taylor is his artist? Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the TSK? I don't know. I think I know. <laughs> I think I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar. So I can hook you up with him. I'm um, somewhat familiar with, that, of what's going on. And so he also owns a comic book store in Mansfield, Mansfield Comics. Okay, I think that's what another people have said. I've, yeah, I've heard around this gentleman. So before. I can, I don't know, I'll, I'll introduce you guys or something. Yeah. Uh, but I, because I, I think, yeah, it sounds like y'all are kind of doing the same sorts of things, involved in the same sorts of things. So I think it'd be mutually beneficial. Anyways, sorry, we can talk about that off air. Yeah. Um, what, 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 so collaboration, you're working with a partner in this process versus like, I guess you and a client, like, do you like collaborating? Do you, what is enjoyable? What is hard to you about that? Pro I mean, you've kind of demonstrated like some of the issues. You've yeah. Had, uh, collaboration is how, is how better ideas come to light. You know, I actually just saw like an interview with uh, Bill Hader about writing. Yeah, um, yeah, I love him. And how he he likes to write with a partner because you get the bad ideas out fast. Like that's like yep. that was what came out. If you sit there and write by yourself for a month and you you create the story and you show someone, they're like, oh, that's not that's not that good. Well, you spent a lot of time making mm -hmm. a bad idea, right? So get your bad ideas out fast. Um, and so that's with with. Andrew and I, we were getting our bad ideas out fast. And he's like my editor, right? So I'll I'll send him stuff and uh he'll tell me what to change. Like he helped he helped me with the cover about like, you know, that that reads well, this doesn't read well, because he's not an art well, he is an artist to his own right, but um he has like what I call like the layman eye. It's like what what my wife Becky has. That's what I call her. She's like my layman. Um, because she'll tell me immediately what's wrong with something, even though I spent like, you know, maybe you know, however long doing it, I'll be like, oh, she's right. It's good to have that perspective. Yeah. You know, they kind so of. So the collaboration is, is that's how you get to good ideas. I think so too. You know, and I, love it. And I tell um, like younger creatives and stuff that you have to get the bad ideas out first. Like, you know, it's come with drilled into you that your first idea is like the most base idea, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone, your first idea has already been thought of. Mm -hmm. Like guaranteed, no matter what you're doing, someone else has thought of that, right? So it's taking that that first idea and reiterating it, so that way you're creating a different idea. Well, that's a bad idea, and you pivot, and then you add some another element, and now now you're kind of getting working your way towards something that's more original. Mm -hmm. um, just like our our story, you know, we have we had our first ideas, and then we have we have read comics that are kind of similar in nature, uh, nothing exact, which is which which is good, uh, but kind of you know, and we we're doing an archetype that is seen before, right? We're a boy. A small child going on an adventure in a different land. You know, that's a very like, you know, hero's journey typical way of doing something. So, but like, what elements are you adding that's going to make it unique and it's going to make it original that audiences will want to read and will want and be emotionally invested to know what happens in the end, right? Because we've all read books and started reading books that were, you know, that you finish almost out of, uh, just a necess necessity to finish, you know? So we don't want to do that. We want something that is engaging I think for that's, people. That's awesome, man. Yeah, so collaboration is like, I think that it's it's what's needed, you know, unless your hubris is so large that you think you don't need anybody, but, um, and- We all rely on people. Yeah, you know, you know there's always going to be a, some people like that, and that's what we see, but that's not the reality in yeah. most or any cases. I agree. There's at all. a John Green quote, uh, that I like uh, collaboration is how we make meaning together. 
uh, and kind of talking, you know, I guess zooming out for a little bit, you brought up philosophy earlier and kind of like, what does it mean to myself to make the things that I want to make? Um, kind of understanding that doing that with people is kind of how we kind of find those answers or kind of find that wholeness as well. Yeah, you, you know? see there, you got to see your idea through their experience to see if it, if what you're thinking kind of lines up, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, in, with our book on grief, we have had experienced death. And so how do I experience death versus how Andrew experienced death? Hmm. Um, and if we can kind of get that, that filter to uh, coincide with each other, then we're creating something that's more marketable to a larger audience, right? Because now yeah. we've both kind of settled on something that makes sense to both of us, right? So the probability of making sense to someone else is even higher than just yeah. going through me. How do you deal with the tension between marketability or what the social media or oh, yeah. zeitgeist or whatever versus like, you doing what you want to do or you think is best. Yeah, marketability, man, that is, well, that's like the hot button issue, right? I mean, if I just uh, buy the uh, the steps from the lady on Instagram, I'll make $20,000 a month. <laughs> so, we're so close to that, Is that right? what you do? Is that, do you no, I don't that? do that. <laughs> but that would be, right? That's how they're making their $20,000 a month. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, marketability, that is a real tough, just answer in general and i've kind of touched on it uh, already with tattoos is that my marketability is for the individual so i'm successful with an individual mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. tattoos are for one person they are not for large audiences right yeah so if i do a guinea pig a guinea pig eating like a hops that makes sense for one person and they'll <laughs> pay money for that one thing right now, if I make a whole storybook about a guinea pig eating hops, then <laughs> then my marketability goes down because I'm reaching a larger audience, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe I can do a whole like, you know, the death of craft beer because the guinea pig <laughs> ate all the hops. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so what that has been our big question with our comic book is like is our marketability in our comic book, and because we have seen similar instances and similar kind of melancholic storylines. Um, and because there's been a rise of creator made stories in comic book format um, that have reached, you know, success in their own right. Um, we do feel confident that our marketability for our our own story is there. Um, it's really just like finding the right connections to get that to a larger audience because, you know, the, the algorithm won't pick that up. And that's been a whole thing. I saw like another video, too, about how the algorithm has changed the way the Internet has is structured, you know, mm -hmm. because it used to be around content creators and that's where we congregate around. But now there's like this overarching entity called algorithm. Yeah. That is uh, feeding us what they think we like. Yeah. Which not, is not necessarily us being attracted to creator made things. Of course. Um, and it's different for each platform and nobody knows how they work because they're a black box within themselves. The yeah. algorithm, it just, it works well at what it was created to do, but how and why, like, well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. How to navigate uh, that? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. No uh, idea. It's, uh, yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, as I think it is, like you kind of said, this is the struggle kind of as an artist or kind of, it's the, that's one of the things that we kind of have to figure out and, and figure out how to deal with is, so let's take that technology thing even a little further. Like, what do you think about AI art? Oh man, instance. yeah, that is like, the big issue, man. Yeah. Like what? That's what, the cat you can't put back in the bag. Is it bad? Is it both? Is it oh, neither? Oh man, <laughs> that's just the that's the big. Oh man, 
I mean, well, you just saw like the Secret Invasion. You saw that the intro of Secret Invasion was AI made. Mm -mm. Uh, the the new Disney Disney Plus show what? with Marvel okay. Secret Invasion. I did not know that. It's an AI intro, and that's huge. Like it just it came out like last week, blew up the creative internet. Um, wow. Because it basically said it's okay to do this, and uh, I mean that took you know food out of people's mouths mm -hmm. by having a computer make that. And also, uh, I've seen it, and it also there's certain artists that I know they're pulling from. You know, of it's, course, it's like if you're familiar with Francis Bacon, you know, it's got some really big Francis Bacon elements. It's got real big Dave McKean elements, um, and so. Oh man, yeah, it's just real bad. It's real bad, and I'm thankful that I'm like halfway through my career and approaching like middle aged life, to where I'm not competing against this as a young creative. Because mm. man, I, I I talk to one of my professors at school frequently, and so that's a huge issue, man. Huge issue. You don't need concept artists. You yeah, can just like the fat producer can just be like, I'm just going to type this in. Yeah, and then this is I'm gonna. It feels like this, right? And then maybe they'll take that and give it to creative to hone in on mm. um, but yeah it is and then and that not just visually but it's across all boards yep the drake and the weekend song yep uh yeah you could talk a long time about ai stuff yep. and i am uh unversed in any of it i'll tell you that much <laughs> um just a pure speculative opinion of mine um now on the other side of things right so there's, there's a few safe creative careers right you have sculptors who are who are kind of safe as of right now what about 3d printers well, yeah. See, then you have 3D printers. So that's how it says it kind of safe. Basically, ceramics. I'll yeah. say you, yeah, yeah. ceramics is good. Yeah. You can, but you're going into the creative side that are trade skills. Okay. So, like a ceramic artist it can be a trade skill artist. Like they, if they want to yeah. do artisan plates for, you know, Michelin star restaurants, they'll make those. Right. Yeah. So that that becomes a trade skill. Um, uh, and then us as tattooers, I think, again, we ended up being the safe bet. You have to have a human do that. You have to have yeah. a human do that. Yeah. Now I can go on Mid Journey and type in AI design and do tattoo designs, mm -hmm. and I can feed them my own work. You know, and yeah. I can kind of get back stuff similar. I haven't tried that at all yet. Um, I don't really have a interest in doing so because it'll just you know it'll come out probably how you expect, just different versions of what you put in. So I've been fucking with it for like two days now. Okay. I've been talking about it and thinking about it for a long time, and I finally was just like... Did you pay for it? No. Okay, uh, yeah. It's free credits. Like, if you just use the... Night Cafe was the one I was using. And if you okay. just, like, use it, they give you free credits every day. Okay, I, I think that mid-journey is the same thing. And so I... I and this has kind of been my take on the whole thing, just as a, as like a history person who like looks at technology, Ooh. you know, over time and technological oh, yeah. developments. It's always a tool. We always have to figure it. We always end up figuring out how to use it. But you, at the end of the day, need people to do a lot of things that you just can't take them out of the equation. But we're going to be using the robots, helping the robots, using the AI, help, helping the AI do what we want to do or whatever. Yeah. And so what I figured out very quickly using that shit, because I don't know what I'm doing. I've never messed with that stuff before. Um it's near impossible to get it to do what you what's in your head, right? Which is what is our what is the struggle of living as a human being, anyways? Right? Yeah. I got thoughts and ideas in my brain, and maybe if you're awesome, if you're talented enough, you've worked hard enough, I can get those ideas out of my brain on a piece of paper uh -huh. or in a musical piece or something like that. But that takes a lot of time, work, and effort. And just typing some words into a computer, like it's at least now, maybe in hundred years, it'll be different. It's kind of dog shit. Like, <laughs> like you, you gotta <laughs> look at the artists who have been doing this as a living already. And it's like, so the keywords is key, right? Of course, yeah, of course. But even then. there's But it's a formula. If you can get that formula right, they're like, I do see on my For You page um, a lot of 
uh, AI artists who are making like just just interesting images, right? And they'll kind of and they may put their hashtags or their keywords in their hashtags or something, so you can kind of get an idea what they're going for. But yeah, there is a formula that is creating stuff that is interesting already, and that does like you know seeing the Hulk in you know uh, in Iron Man armor, right? And you get like a lot of iterations of that. Um, is a pretty like that's a general idea, you know, yeah. like you know Trump breakdancing or something, you know. So you so and it's really how you kind of it's not just Trump breakdancing as the keywords. It's like you know in a crowd, 4K, of course, right? Yeah, all, all this extra stuff, yeah. So yeah, so that is like people are gonna get better at that, and you do need, like you said, you need to be be able to edit these images. They they aren't just ready to go right out of the box. There is editing that does need to happen, but that does it will be a discouragement for people beginning their careers yeah because now because people who are like 15 years in their in their career that this new tool popped up they can learn it faster right and they know how to edit it so they can utilize it better so people that are like learning photoshop you know like if my wife wants to learn photoshop to make like memes right um it'll be discouraging for her to learn that if someone else in the same caliber can just use ai better than she does and then you know, uh, it just it. I think it takes away a lot of that beginning stuff. Yeah, maybe the found the foundation stuff. Yeah, um, but I think uh, to to your point, the foundation stuff. I feel like that if you're taking the easy way out as an artist or whatever, I'm going to do and use the AI stuff. But you don't have the skills then necessary to do actually what is what you want to do. So I guess what I'm trying to argue for, I guess what I'm trying to say, I think you're still going to need artists, human beings, to create things for other human beings because that's the only way that you're going to get. Exactly, because yeah. close to what you want. Or whatever, no, exactly. Right? Like, I mean, the for Secret Evasion, people still had to create and edit, right? That, but the amount of people, ah, uh, yes, is yes, like yes. two, yeah, versus maybe a team of twenty, yeah, right. So then, so yeah, so there are, be, and then there, therefore, if our, if generally our main export in America is entertainment, mm-hmm. then the the jobs are already super hard to stay in, yes. right? Like animation and entertainment industry work is contract labor. You're contracted for six months. You work like 15 hour days until the project's done, and then you have no job, yeah. and then you have to look for another one. So, so you're just gonna see a lot more people <laughs> struggling mm-hmm. for that and uh, getting that. And so the cream will always rise to the top. There'll always be people that are very successful in this, but the amount of like basically like the middle class of artists, mm-hmm. which can go into like mm-hmm. a whole other economic thing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, that's gonna go away. We're gonna see less and less of that. Yeah, you know. I think you're and, right. Yeah, and that's what we're seeing across the board. Yeah, in our capitalist system, right? In our like, late stage capitalism, the whole whatever. the yeah. whole middle class of any industry um, in this economy is going to start going away. So you either have to be like real focused and mm-hmm. and know how to use it, um, or be in an industry like mine where it's trade skills. So I've already seen tattooers use AI images for tattoos, right? So they can type in like skull with flaming eyes and a hood, right? And then they can edit and find like a really cool image that's tattooable, yeah. right? So more than likely, this is going to be realistic, right? Like pure, like realism, cool stuff. Well, to do that takes a lot of hours. So therefore, this design that took no effort to create mm-hmm. is now going to be like four sessions worth of tattooing. So this, you know, no thought process design is going to be like four grand worth of work. So I think... As of right now, as my view of it, I'm one of the one of the few industries that will not be adversely affected by AI. It will actually help people make a lot more money. Yeah. And so it's like kind of like what with with music and streaming, 
or MP3s or whatever, or iTunes or whatever, right? Like, or being able to digitally make music on your own computer. Like, because you used to, back in the 90s, 80s, 70s, you had to pay thousands of dollars to go into a studio just to make music. Yeah. To create it. Uh-huh. Um, and now anybody, any 15-year-old in their bedroom can just create music. And so, like, we kind of saw that shift 20 years ago. Yeah. Has the music industry benefited or gotten better? No, it's probably worse than it was before now. You know, we can debate that or not. But, like, the technology kind of allowing more people to create something um, is, you know, there's more musicians now, I think you could say, than there was 20 years ago. And so the, yeah, maybe, maybe the same thing for for tattoo artists, like, hey, it, making this people, maybe the, the flip side of it, right? It, it might discourage some people. It might encourage other people because they're like, hey, I can maybe just do this. I want to, you know, I yeah. don't know. I, don't know. I, I think the, the worry now will be like flooding, uh, right? Yeah. So like yeah. just with your industry as a musician, like, yeah, they're going to find and And it's going to be good quality flooding, right? So then we have like, I mean, was it Aldous Huxley's, you know, A Brave New World mm-hmm. is about the, you know, the too much information to filter through. So it kind of goes into yeah. that realm. And that's where we're at. Yeah. Sure. I mean, oh, yeah. for sure. It's a new cycle. And so now it's now it's bleeding over into the creative industry. And so you're going to have like amazing people who do like unique stuff, but they're just being drowned out by other people who do great stuff. So there's yeah. so that climb to the top is um, like like climbing quicksand, you know, yeah. it's not as firm as it was where it just takes effort and drive and continual labor to, to get to the top. But now you're fighting against, you know, all these other people going up this quicksand mountain, um, which, you know, and then now with fighting algorithm stuff, if you're not mm-hmm. focusing on a small group, like my, my before algorithm and, and, uh, like, I mean, I started nine years ago. So Instagram was a few years old, maybe like four or five years old. I, mean, I think 2012. I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, so a couple years old. So algorithm wasn't there. Um, so people still wanted to grow their following counts. It was on the, the it was the beginning of what an influencer was, right? Uh-huh. And so my goal that I learned in the school was I focused on the community, right? Like, like I said before, I focused on the art and music scene in the town I was at. I wasn't yeah. trying to like go large, right? And so I took that same idea and I brought it to Fort Worth. Like, I'm going to focus on Fort Worth. Yeah. I'm not going to focus on creating um, this large social media presence so that people fly down and get tattooed from me. Yeah. You know, the, the, I have a rare clients that, you know, have been attracted to my work that have done that, you know, but they're like pilots. So it's not like they're spending <laughs> yeah. crazy amount of money. They just have the opportunity to do that. Right. Um, and so. Focusing on the locals is it's going to be much more. Uh, I mean, your record label is local famous. I mean, that's yeah. like the. I mean, you're some. You're already on that path. It's just focusing on the local. Yeah, the community is going to be much more sustainable than focusing on the large aspect. And that yep. really that's been said before about any kind of creative is like you start at your house, you start on your street, you start on your town, you start yep. on your city, and then it grows out like a donut. You know. Yep. Uh, and that's how you can reach people. And then, um, and that has like a positive impact on your community. Like it's important. This is my, I'm yeah, like, it builds my culture. It's important. It built literally. It builds culture, and you need spaces like that wherever you are 
to build that sort of culture. This is why art is so important. People kind of look at art as frivolous. Oh, there's not money in that. Like, obviously, you're being successful, but it's hard to be successful in art. It's really odd that people don't think there's money in that. And, just... Yeah, but it it is so important. So when we have hard economic times, right, like we're kind of seeing or have been seeing or going to oh, yeah. see, whatever, um, the arts are the first thing to go, usually. The first thing that's defunded, the first thing that has a hard time because it's like, oh, I don't have the money to go enjoy these things. I have to pay my bills. I have to pay my car, whatever. Yeah. It, it's it, And so, like, it, it, you know, it makes me happy to hear what, you, what you're saying is because like this is it's emphasizing the importance of it so to all the artists out there like starting in your community building it in your community understanding the impact that you're having on your community is what's going to build those relationships is what's going to build that network yeah that's what carries you you. yeah that carries that sustains it's it's like a symbiotic thing it sustains you as an artist but then you're sustaining the community by giving it it's it's some culture yeah by giving back in some way so on on that note is i got tattooed a while ago um maybe it was post-pandemic. Yeah, it was post-pandemic. From an artist who's been tattooing like 15, 20 years. So he tattooed through the 2008 housing crisis. Mm. Huge boom for him. Huge boom. Wow. Because the people making money were the people getting tattoos. Mm. So um, so we talked a lot about tattooing during the pandemic, right? So uh, sorry, I totally tattooed out of my house during the pandemic. I mean, I had no, yeah. I had no option, you know? And a lot of people tattooed in some degree, you know, during that time. Now, for me, that was a huge boom <laughs> when everyone was stuck at home and the ones that were essential workers now wanted control of something. Mm-hmm. They lost control of almost every aspect of their lives. They found out, I would never, I didn't advertise at all I was ever tattooing during this time. It was all like word of mouth. I tattooed six days a week. The, wow. en- the entire time I was I was at home, right? Uh, crazy. I, no discounts. It was just norm- my normal rates. Um, I think a couple times I did like a discount, but like for the most part, it was like normal rates. I tattooed people only during that time period, never else before or after. Yeah. That was also kind of weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I I mean, I got like maybe eight people's stimulus checks, wow. you know, yeah. during that time because they were, they were part of essential workers. So... It was so weird to, again, know that the tattooing was a safe bet. And that started by being focused on local people. The tattooers that had a really rough time during that pandemic um, were those that had the larger reach Mm. that people would fly in to see them, right? Because they were kind of dependent on people traveling to see them. Not during the pandemic. Because they did not focus on the local uh, town they were in. And then also they have a really good style and a sought after style, but they didn't have range. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't really go outside of their stylization. So me having a wide range meant I can do your traditional tattoo. I can do your black and gray realism tattoo. I can do your illustrative, you know, monkey tattoo. I have the range to do that, which means I have a larger pool to, uh, to pull from. Yeah. Um, and that like helped us be successful in a time that the majority of the country wasn't as an artist. Super weird. That That's that's I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that because yeah. I think that's that's a you, it's really interesting to kind of see how complicated these sorts of things are. Right. And so like you, you very well explained like your situation, but also your versatility and your position has like afforded you this opportunity. Oh, yeah. Um, and so and I think you're making, you know, making a great case for like, hey, it's important to be locally focused. So like on that point, and I guess maybe we'll use this to kind of maybe wrap up. What is your take on the Fort Worth scene, art scene? 
Um, like, who are some of the people that you're close to that you look, you know, up to? Well, they're closing um, the Fort Worth Community Arts Center. Are they closing it? Closing it? Um, I I need to do some more research, but from the the winds carry that they're closing it. Oh, yeah, man. I thought I heard they were doing renovations, but I didn't know. They I don't were... know. Well, we we need to research that, but that is that's the hearsay. Okay, <laughs> that uh, that is happening, which is like a bit of a blow, and so maybe they are doing renovations. I could very well be misinformed um, on all I that. Remember, because yeah, I read something about it a month ago or something like that. I think. Yeah, they're needing funding for it, and I want to say some company, some third-party private company, is coming in to help fund or pay for it. I think that's something like that. Yeah, that could be the danger because also if if it becomes a private entity, exactly. then they have control over what's displayed. Yep, and that becomes a big issue as well for you know, yeah, what spaces. The local voice is spaces to to create art but display art independently. Public spaces, not yeah, public spaces is so so important. Um, so we've I've seen a few things. I, I'm supposed to have. Um, uh, uh, exhibition. Once the comic's done, we will have a local exhibition showcasing the original artwork. Hell yeah. As I'm doing things uh, pen on paper, I'm not doing digital stuff because um, I want to have that tactile essence. Um, and so we will have an exhibition at the pool, which is off of 8th Street. Okay. Um, it's an apartment building that instead of a, an actual pool, they put in a gallery called the pool. So it's kind of interesting. That's cool. The, the tenants got robbed of swimming, but they were given culture. So I, oh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> hey. What side of the fence you want to be on? Um, so we will be doing that. But that's also like how people are making money, right? So we have to like rent the space. Mm. So it's not given to us, which is, you know, a bit of an issue, right? So we can't just showcase for free. Yeah. They do have to make money. We do have to rent the space. Um, uh, and there are, uh, you know, and that is ran by the near south side folks okay. um megan henderson is the one who's who's running that one and um and then you have some art fairs and stuff that that are happening and we we've seen more like the magnolia area grow ray street has grown and been like a part of things we've seen the individuals like like jay wilkinson um mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff for the community and um had his own struggles with that as well from opening like renegade galleries to having his own gallery, you know, but he's also dealing with like, I think the larger powers that be and, and, you know, no one has complete freedom mm. for showcasing work all the time. Um, and then, you know, it's, you know, the gallery, the whole gallery experience is now a completely outdated model uh, in today's time. It's very hard to like have like a traditional gallery showing now. Um, and we do have a few things like um, uh, Fort Works, uh, which has been a good like mainstay in uh, showcasing artists, um, local and not, which is really cool. Um, but and that's a much more traditional gallery sense. Mm. Um, and then you have a few more of like the the kitsch, you know, Texan cowboy art. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I've had my own kind of bad experiences with showcasing art, you know, w without saying. Uh, who was with you know but you know by you know I was asked to showcase work and I put prices up and I went back to visit and all my prices were taken down you know so and so that was a little disappointing because they'll pay musicians to play a show but they won't pay artists to basically they like they should be paying rent for artists like if you're yeah. not gonna like hey if you're not gonna have prices for opportunity for selling which again is kind of also kind of a skeezy thing to do. Yeah, what the that's um, really dumb. Then they should like you know the art. And then we should be renting our artwork out yeah. for showcasing these people. Yeah. Um, but they're using you know artist the age old tale of you know uh oh, what's the word 
like um, consignment or something. No, um, show when you're shown things for free. Exposure. Exposure. There it is. <laughs> yeah, of course. Exposure. Yeah. So that's like yeah. you know the Achilles heel of any kind of uh, artist trying to show their work is for exposure. So yeah, it is a little bit of a tougher uh, game because again, we're not like a large city. We're not. Um, but do you feel the community among the artists is is healthy or good? Do you or do you feel it's a cutthroat or is it clicky? Like I think any kind of art environment is gonna be clicky. I don't think you can escape that. Yeah, I think that's just that's just what it is. Yeah. It's going to be. Um, it's just what kind of click do you want to be involved with? Just like you know, like I'm a tattooer, so and those can be clicky. And I've actually made steps to distance myself for uh, being known as just a tattooer because of that mm. reason. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we're gonna you're gonna see that the benefit of being in Fort Worth is that you do have the opportunity to do things yourself. So that goes back to networking. Yeah. If you can network, if you can develop relationships with people, you can showcase work, you can do things like when, I mean, for years, you, people used um, shipping and receiving as a way to showcase art and artists and experiences. And people did make money off of that as an individual artist and people got exposed and encouraged to do things that way. Um, so yeah, it was really cool to uh, be a part of that and see like, oh man, this is a possibility. Um, and I think with everything, you're going to have ups and downs that follow the the economic rules that we're living in. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. like, we're at a, a kind of a down point, so we're not going to see the big push that we had. You know, people need to make money, so they'll charge rent for showcasing spaces. Yeah. Whereas, like, maybe five years ago, people were doing it for free just so they could build culture. Um, I mean, it is just, it's a really hard thing to navigate, which is why people say there's no money into it. Um, and so you have to be individually driven to make it work for yourself and be a creative problem solver with your own idea of art. I, I think it. that is a, that's probably like the best thing I can say is you have to be a creative problem solver with your own work. Um, and that can be any kind of creative industry, but the problem is how do I get this scene and how do I make money for it? Mm -hmm. Find creative ways to answer those questions. Um, so, and, yeah, and that's everything we've talked about yeah, today. Absolutely. Last last thing, what would you say? And you kind of just did, but maybe if you want to add a little more, perhaps to an aspiring artist, 18, 19, just coming out of high school, like what would you say to that person? If I was talking to your students that were interested in, in doing arts, um there there's like a meme going around of like, you know, do something that you love, you never have to work day in your life. And they go, No, you work twenty four seven every single day you don't go to parties you don't you don't see your friends you know you keep your, your circle tight and then there's there's some truth to that which is why it's like a viral meme at the moment um it is it is something that you choose over like almost everything i mean there's sacrifices i've made um and things that i've made sure to have balance in my life i i'm in a relationship with my wife we've been together for eight years so there is a balance i can't just do not I can't just completely obliviate our relationship because I'm trying to create, mm -hmm. you know, um, you need to have a healthy lifestyle balance. And I've seen those that have sacrificed a lot and they may have had their, you know, um, success, but they don't have the balance and um, of their personal life. They don't have success in their personal life. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that so if you're willing to, you know, it's just what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice like everything for your idea? Are you willing to sacrifice some? You know, like what, you know, what's your balance? What are you, and you really don't know that until you've experienced like the extremes. Yeah. Right. So what's it like to work for six months and 
be so focused on something and then have it not work out, you know? Yeah. What's your, what is the opposite of that of working six months and having it work out? Um, and then how is your personal life in between those, those two polar swings? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is, it's, you have to have balance. You have to be able to be a functioning person in society. Um, the artists that we look up to for the most part are not functioning people. They're really good. You know their names. Um, they have eternal life in that. Mm. But like, what's more important? Like the name you'll have after you die, or the quality of life while you live. Mm. Mm. I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Scott, for coming on here and I, and showing us that like being artist is a lot about being human. Like it's yeah. kind of one of the figuring out how to do one is figuring out how to do the other kind of a lot. So. Yeah, there's no answer to it. Um, so if you find that challenge fun, then it could be a good path for you. You know, but if you like kind of dictating how your life's going to go, um, then it may not be the best avenue for you. But yeah, thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah, I, course, I feel like dude. I rambled well, hard. I, no, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's what this is for. And so, no, I'm glad we got to do this. It's, it's uh, great to see you. I know you're busy as hell. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad we could do that. Thank you again, man. Thank you so much. Hell yeah. Yay. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Oh, man. I'm, that was a good rant. Yay. Well, thanks, man. I hope you can. <laughs>